All right, if you would turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. I want to point out something that might be very obvious to you, but I'm going to try to help a little bit. I realize that it is darker in part of this room. Uh, There is a a little issue uh, with something I don't understand. So just know that we're they're working on it and that for right now, this is what we've got. And so we're thankful for the light we do have, okay? Um, but anyway, so in Exodus chapter 15, uh, we, we took a pause from this last week to hear from Dr. Shaddix. Uh, and so um, we're back in the book of Exodus. And this is really immediately after being led across the Red Sea. And they are now, they being the people of Israel, the Israelites, are led into the wilderness. And wilderness, that, even that word, appears 10 different times in the next four chapters. So we're going to get an idea of, of them, them being out. Like uh, it feels like the wilderness to them. It feels like they are uh, kind of without plan. I would assume that's kind of what it feels like to them. Uh, I, I, I do do this every week, but uh, I do want to do it right now. Even, hey, kids, I want you to, in this time, I want you to draw your favorite food, like your favorite meal, the whole meal, the drink, the dessert, the main course, maybe even side items, even if they're ones that you're, you just, you're just drawing because you know you're, it would make your parents happy. If it was on your plate. And I want you to remember this, that as you think about the the food that you eat, that God not only provides for you what you need to eat, but that he is even more important for you than that meal. He's the one that provides for you himself, giving you something even better than the food that nourishes you your body, that helps you grow big and strong, right? I I was thinking about this, and and food and water are really two of the greatest needs for survival, right? Yes, maybe you could include shelter in that, uh, but if, if you're not eating, it doesn't matter if you have a roof over your head. Right? I mean, food and water. Some statistics for you, maybe not statistics, but points of interest, just the, the effects of dehydration, going too long without water. It'll, simple things, right? The lack of energy, just a general tiredness. You can have injury like heat cramps or heat stroke even. Your brain can swell. You can have seizures. You can go into shock. You can have kidney failure or even other organs can fail. And certainly, you go too long without water, you'll die. Without adequate water intake, your your body temperature won't stay regulated. Your electrolytes will be unbalanced. Your joints will stop working properly. Again, your brain would eventually swell. Your blood pressure would have drastic increase or drastic decrease. You, You can only make it. Uh, uh, two or three days without water. You think, I don't ever drink water. We're, we're talking about 
Uh, there's water in whatever you're drinking, okay? Uh, but then think about food. The effects of starvation are similar. You get faint, dizziness, cognitive changes, your low blood pressure, slow heartbeat. You can become weak. Even not eating can also lead to dehydration, which had all of those other effects. It can change your thyroid function, abdominal pain, electrolyte imbalances, heart attack, organ failure, prolonged malnutrition, just like not enough. Like it's not that you're not eating at all, it's that you don't have enough. You can have stunted growth, poor bone health or osteoporosis, post-traumatic stress, even depression. So it has mental effects, heart conditions, neurological conditions, again, swelling. So I want you to imagine this with me. These two needs are what the Israelites are feeling a pressure about. How are we going to eat? How are we going to drink? We're in, the, we're in the wilderness now. We've crossed the Red Sea. That was an awesome miracle. We're three days in from three days past the miracle. What are we going to do? So what we're going to find is that in these next couple chapters, they're going to be asking questions about where their supply is going to be coming from. Where their needs are going to be met. So let's look together and see what takes place. Go to chapter 15. Again, it says right after the song of Moses, song of praise that they offer. And you get to verse 22. Verse 22 says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. I want to pause right there. Do you remember how long I said you can really make it? So they're, they're on the edge at this point. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. People grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? He cried to the Lord, show, and the Lord showed him a log. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians." For I am the Lord, your healer. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. You'll notice maybe in your notes, uh, if you're one who uh, picks up one of those note pieces of paper, or as you see these on the screen, there's going to be some comparisons, really, between this story and when the people are needing food. So this is the water story. Then we'll kind of see the story of manna. Maybe you know that story, but, but they, they have some parallels. So we're going to see those next to each other, so to speak. And so the, the first thing that you see under this category of water, needing water, is there's a complaint, right? The complaint is that there is no water to drink. And they came to this place called Mara. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. So imagine this, you're walking three days in the wilderness, you finally get to water only to find that it's water you can't drink. 
that would be devastating, right? Can you imagine just everybody starts running to the, this water source only to find out, I can't drink that. That'll be worse for me than not drinking. The word Mara actually means bitter. It, it's, it's interesting, uh, if you remember in the story of Ruth, right, her, mo- her mother-in-law, even change after her husband and her two sons die, she, she says, call me Mora, right? She's saying, call me bitter. And so in this case, this actually reads something different. It's, it's like, uh, so this place was called bitter. They could not drink the water of bitter because it was bitter. I think you get the idea. The water was bitter. But, but bitter for us isn't just like a flavor, right? We think bitter and sweet are opposites in that sense, and they are. But bitter really means like stagnant water. The water that you come up on and it, it has a stench to it. And you look at it and it's like there's a film on the top because it, it hasn't moved. And, and it seems like something like you, you feel like a frog with wings is going to come out of it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like something that shouldn't exist well, has been formed in this, this muck. And so um, the stagnant water, j- just so you know, would have also in other places in the Old Testament been described as dead water, right? So, so dead water is what is being offered. But there is a provision. So again, this, this is the first, right, the, the first thing is the complaint, and now we'll see the provision. There is sweet water that is going to miraculously appear. Verse 25, so Moses cries to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, uh, it doesn't appear that there was anything this wasn't like a sugar cane stick or log that he throws into the water to make it go from bitter to sweet. It's, it's really just a symbol. It, it certainly happened, but it's just a symbol of God saying, I'm about to take nothingness and make this water what you need it to be. Right? It's not that the log had some magical potion in it that is going to turn all of the dead water into water that was good for them. In fact, that what this word that is described as sweet is often described as a, a one that is like a spring-fed water. So what they would describe as living water. So I think you're getting the picture already, right? Dead water, when God gets involved, becomes living water, stagnant, film, gross, unable to use water, becomes exactly what is needed in the living water, the provision that God provides, that he offers and gives. Don't worry, I'm going to get to the the living water. 
just hang on tight. Now, from that, right, so we have a, a, a complaint and then we have a provision. It's pretty incredible that God meets their need, right? And you might say, well, like, even in their complaining, they're, are, are they actually uh, trusting him? Well, listen to the command that follows that provision. Exodus 15, now go to the second half of verse 25. It says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. Do you remember all those diseases that he had put on the Egyptians, all the, those plagues, all those things that he was trying to remind all of the people of Egypt or, or tell them that he was more powerful than all of their gods, all of their false gods, right? And if you remember, there was a, there was a god that was represented by the, the Nile River, there was a, uh, in the, in the blood, there was, there was one that was represented by frogs, and, and uh, there was one that was representing uh, like the God over the livestock and the God over the, like all of those. And then they even get to Ra, the, the sun god, Pharaoh himself, who is who's represented and now covered over by darkness. God is saying, I am the one true God. So once again, now he's bringing the Israelites in. It's like, uh, I, I noticed Dr. Shaddix said this a couple different times while he was preaching. He said, like, come in a little closer. It's like trying to grab our attention a little bit. It's in some ways that the Lord is doing just that to the Israelites. He's saying, come in a little closer. I want you to listen. Maybe you weren't paying attention to all that was happening to the Egyptians as I was proving myself, showing myself that I am the one true God. But I want you to come in a little closer and listen, Israelites. I am the one true God. It's like he whispers it to them almost. Listen. Listen carefully. I'm the one true God. You see, God is answering a bigger question than just uh, where are we going to get our food? Where are we going to get our water? The bigger question is, can God be trusted? That's what they want to know. Hey, he took us out here to nowhere land. Yeah, okay, I got it. He's taking us across the Red Sea. That was pretty cool. He wiped out an entire army. That was pretty cool. But, but can we really trust him? The Israelites seemed to think that he might treat them like he treated the Egyptians. And we've already seen that he treated them with, he, he poured out his wrath on them. And so they're looking and saying, wait a second. Was this some kind of like evil, maniacal trick to, to just show us miracle after miracle after miracle and then really just wipe us out? Instead of wiping us out in the Red Sea, you're just going to not give us water to drink? So we're going to die of dehydration? Is that the plan? So, so God says, I want you to hear and obey. I want, I want you to listen Listen to me. Do, do what I say. He, he repeats this so that maybe they'll remember it. Notice his command. 
if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in his eyes, then he says it again, right? Give ear. What does give ear mean? Listen, right? So he's already told him to listen. Now he's saying, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. So he basically says, listen and obey. And then he says it again, listen and obey. Ever, ever feel like uh, you have to do that with your kids? All the time. Uh-huh. Right? Listen. It, sometimes we have to do it with, like, uh, people that we supervise. We have to say the same thing on repeat. Let me say this a few different times so that maybe you'll get it. And in the same way, the Lord is looking to his children, the children of Israel, right? And he's saying to them, listen and obey. Listen and obey. God often shows us the bitter so that we might recognize the sweet. Right? Sometimes he, he takes you to the point of needing him so that you can see that you had to have him. Hey, they come to the, the bitter water, the dead water. And they can't make it sweeter. They can't make it spring-fed. They can't make it living water. They can't make it drinkable. So guess who can? And sometimes God takes us to the, the place where we need him the most. And our, our need for him is most recognizable to us so that we can say only God can get us out of this. Now, what that means is that sometimes he takes us, like we, we fight against that, don't we? So all along, wouldn't it be good if we just believed him from the get-go? Just trusted him on the first try? But man, he's got to bring us real low because it's like we're just too slow to get it. Maybe you've you've gone through a particular diagnosis. And in order to, to feel the sweet presence of the Lord, you had to walk through the bitter taste of something like cancer. Maybe you've gone through a struggling marriage but in order to experience the sweetness of restoration, you had to taste the bitter of brokenness. Here's what I want you to hear from all of that. That the last part of verse 26, the Lord makes a declaration and he says, I am the Lord your healer. See, the Lord is healer. This is the declaration that he's making as he's providing the water that's necessary. He says, I am the Lord, your healer. I am what you need. I'm giving you what you need. You just follow me. Do, do what I say. Listen and obey. Follow after me. I will be your healer. Okay. 
if I don't hurry up, they're, those kids aren't going to get baptized. So, okay, uh, that was water. Now let's, let's look at food. All right, so right, right next, uh, we're, we're going to see that they, they also need food. And so I want to, uh, let's just start in, in chapter 16. So they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They're right back to that, right? The people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in, e in the land of Egypt, that we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring it in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel at evening, You shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard you grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. For in the evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. So let's, let's catch this. Similar scenario, except it's not water anymore. It's now the complaint that there is no food to eat. And they are, they figured out grumbling. I mean, how many times did we hear grumbling in that? Grumble, grumble, grumble. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron are, are even look back at them and say, your grumbling wasn't really against us. You might be pointing it at us, but we know it's really at the Lord. You're complaining about what I'm not giving you when it's really that you're right back at, can we trust the Lord? They point back to that over and over. They even say, you, you, who are we that you grumble against us? Like we're going to be able to feed two million of you. We're not going to be able to do that. We know that your grumbling to us is really a grumbling to the Lord. Did the Lord really bring us out? Isn't that interesting? You say, like, we used to get to sit around meat pots and eat bread to the full. They make it sound like their slavery was pleasant. Right? They look back and like, oh, that was, that was grand days. But yet, even still, notice that the Lord... In his grace, what is grace? Giving you something good that you do not deserve. 
This is, this is the way of the Lord. In his grace, says, I'm gonna give you quail in the evening, verse 13, and manna or dew in the morning. Do, do you remember in the creation account how the text reads, it was evening and it was morning on the first day. It was evening, it was morning on the second day. It was evening, it was morning on the third. This is a way of definitively saying it was a day. Okay, it's like pointing that out and trying to be intentional in that it was a day. But it's also really describing like the, the fullness of the day. So now imagine that that's what you're hearing from the Lord. I'm going to fill your day with the food you need. There will be food in the evening, there will be food in the morning. It will be evening, it will be morning on the next day. You will have food in the evening, you will have food in the morning. It's a way of indicating the completeness, the totality of the Lord's provision. So when you hear quail in the evening, manna in the morning, don't just think dinner and breakfast. Think complete, whole filling, giving what is needed. All day, every day, he's going to give them what they need. But what is, his, what is his command? Because this is a parallel story. So what's the command here? Look at verse 4. So the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Right? There's some sp specific ways they're supposed to gather the manna. They're supposed to gather enough for that day and for enough for their household and no more, except for on the sixth day when they're supposed to gather for the seventh day, right? So they're supposed to get everything they need for that day times two. And so he's saying, I'm going to make sure that they can follow even a small rule, right? This is my testing of them. Will they actually listen to something they might think is ridiculous? I don't like that rule. I only want to go out on Monday, get all the manna I need, and I want to go back out on Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm going to go ahead and get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Y'all like going to the grocery store multiple times a week? I know my wife loves it, right? No, of course not. You want to go, you want to get everything you need for the week, you want to have all your little plans made out, you want to do all that. And so they're like, hey, we're just going to go get all the manna we need. No, I want you to do exactly what I'm telling you to do. You don't get to make up your own rules. You don't get to decide how we obey God or don't obey God. And so what is his declaration here? His declaration is that the Lord is God. Verse 12, I've heard, this is God saying, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. So say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. When I, when I meet your needs, a need that no one else can meet, even the leader of all of these people, you come to him and he cannot supply your needs. Moses couldn't do it. Aaron couldn't do it. Joshua's not even really being talked about yet, but he couldn't do it. Miriam couldn't do it. They weren't able to provide. But the Lord says, I want you to see that I am God in giving you what no one else could give you. 
even in the simple provision of bread, we are to recognize the sovereign lordship of our God. Why do we pray before a meal? It's another, another chance for us to say thank you. Yeah, okay, I worked real hard for this money, Chad. I'm the one who, who bought the meal. My, this waiter is the one who brought it to me. The cook is the one who, why, am I, why don't I thank them? I think you should thank them. But if, if everything is actually provided by him, then we should probably start with him, right? Okay. I want to hone this in then to what we can see now as we look to, quite honestly, a fulfillment of both water and bread that is far more than our physical nourishment. It's in the person of Jesus. Right? The complaint this time is not necessarily a passage of Scripture to look up. It's just us. Like, it's just the way we are. Now you could look at other passages of Scripture. You could go through the, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you could find evidence of the people of God complaining uh, that he's not giving them what they want when they want it. So that's, what, that's the complaint. Give us what we want. And for many of us, if not most of us, our more typical complaint to God is give me what I want now. Ever had one of those moments with your kids? You, you, uh, like they're, they're still learning please and thank you, right? Hey, can I have uh, ice cream? And you say something like, what do you say next? And they say, can I have ice cream now? <laughs> no. <laughs> right? Right? No, no, no. They're like, so in this, in the same way, that's what we do. We look to them and say, hey, give me this thing that I want now. Maybe we throw in a please, but we also still add now. But I want you to see, I want you to see that in Jesus. When, when we go and we say, give us what we want now, he gives us something much better than what we think we need. So notice the provision. In Jesus is the living water and the bread of life. In John 4, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you think you're going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of the water of, of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty 
again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, well, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. And salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He says, I, she says, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us these things. He, Jesus looks right back to her and listen to what he says. I who speak to you am he. You know the Messiah is coming? You're right. You're looking at him. You know, you're looking for, for this water. You keep coming to this well. You keep, you keep asking God for something. You keep saying, give me what I want now. And he says, I'm what you need. I, I'm here. I'm right in front of you. Think about this. Further in John, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to, to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They said to them, what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, oh, give us this bread always. Jesus looks back, guess what he says? I am the bread of life. I'm, I'm giving you myself. The Father has given you what you need. It's like it's right here. The table is set. Bread and water. Living bread, living water. Made available to you. What is it? What is what is the, com the command? Right? Each time there's been a command, there's been a do something, help me see something, help me remember. What are Jesus' words on repeat? Follow me. This is what I want from you. You want bread and water? Follow me. John 1, follow me. Matthew 8, Jesus said to him, follow me. Leave the dead to bear their own dead. John 10, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Luke 5, 27, when they went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, he said to him, 
follow me. So leaving everything, he rose and followed him. John 21, follow me. Matthew 4, follow me. Matthew 10, follow me. Mark 1, follow me. Mark 8, follow me. Luke 18, follow me. You know, sometimes we need repetition too. This, this is it. Follow him. And hear him declare, Jesus is both Lord and healer. We've already heard the declaration in Exodus. The Lord is healer. The Lord is God. Well, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is healer. So I wonder if this morning, if you will surrender to Jesus as Lord. Will you recognize that apart from him, you will not be healed and you will not be restored. This is how the Lord provides. He gives you what you need. You might think you need a husband, but he gives you his presence. You might think you need a child, but he gives you grace. You might think you need the right grades or the right promotion, but he gives you his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Yesterday, I had the distinct honor of preaching my grandmother's funeral. She died at 92 years old. After a lifetime of faithful service to our king. These, these last few months have been uh, difficult for her. She's been extremely weak. And quite honestly, her body... Right now, it's, it's completely emptied. I mean, right? Her body is buried in the ground. But I am confident that her soul is present with the Lord. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but not because of anything that she did, but because of what Jesus did for her. You know, when we were telling our kids that, the, that Grammy had died earlier this week, my youngest, Zeke, who still learning a lot, uh, had a lot of questions about death and funerals and all of those things. He was curious about where Grammy was. So Gloria told him that, that Grammy was now in heaven. His eyes got kind of big and he's, he's like, is that... That up, that in the sky. So try to almost avoid that question. She said, uh, "No, Grammy is with Jesus." And Zeke, in just like the best ways, great, right? He might not understand everything, 
But he got that one right. He got it right. Being with Jesus is great. So, so here's what I'm saying. Jesus will give you what you need. So will you choose to follow him today? You know, right, right where you are, you can turn away from your plans. You can turn away from your effort, your, your work. Scripture calls that repentance, turning away from your sin and your stuff and your way. Instead, surrendering, trusting in Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. And because of him, you can spend eternity with your needs being met. So right now, right where you are, respond to him in this way. Maybe, maybe you are a follower of Christ and today was just a reminder for you that, that you can't do it on your own. <laughs> you didn't bring salvation on your own and you don't even give, get your meal on your own. Maybe it's just a good reminder for you that, that the battles we face, they've already been fought. They've already been won because no battle is greater than the battle over our enemy. And so he's already conquered the enemy. He's already conquered death, proven himself, right? So maybe, maybe your response this morning is simply to sing of his praise. that He is already if you have questions or things you're wrestling with, stirring with, or, or maybe even just a moment ago, you, you chose to, to follow after Christ, then, then right over here to my left, we wanna invite you to come and share that with us or ask those questions that we might celebrate or help you answer those questions with the word of God. But right now, let's all respond to the Lord as he leads. Stand with me as we respond.